get by Benning. Darnell Nurse left it in the corner, gets up center. Perry scoops. I think part of that got caught, but uh, <laughs> welcome to the show, everybody. We. Uh, the Anaheim Ducks season. Um, I would like to start off by saying me and Jason were completely correct on um, our predictions for last week, and your offer did not happen. I know. I missed by one. I'm not going to lie to you. I've never been so happy to be wrong. Oh, yeah. Like, that's the, that's the thing for me, right? It was the best-case scenario. Either they sucked and I got to be pompous about it, or they were great and I was wrong because the team is good. So, you know. It's a win-win. I, I I really might never pick anything other than O for again. You were I think I you were it. wrong, but the team still wasn't good. <laughs> we we there, there is that we, we won against Calgary, which um, in the grand scheme of things was the game we probably should have won. When you look at the rest of the opponents that we were playing, so Definitely. but you know I'll I'll take it. Um, it felt like the most realistic outcome, so I'll take the I'll take the early W. I don't know about this week. There's some interesting matchups that we'll we'll get to at some point, but. I mean, it, it's to be expected at this point in the sense that, you know, the Ducks are going to have a lot of weeks like this where, you know, they get one win out of three. All the games except the game against Winnipeg were close. You know, the game against Edmonton were leading 4-3 and kind of choked it and ended up losing 6-5. to five. Almost made the comeback, but it was kind of too little too late in that game. Had a tight game uh, against Minnesota that ended up uh, getting just a point out of and losing in overtime. So there are games that they made close. And the game against Edmonton was exciting. And even the game against Minnesota was exciting as well. Um, the Jets game, I, I don't think the Ducks deserve to lose 5-1. to one. I think it was a better performance than some of the other games that week. Uh, but the empty net goal and uh, some of the Kyle Connor goal after the empty net goal kind of padded the score a little bit. But there were positives to draw from uh that stretch even though they only won one out of four yeah absolutely i i i definitely thought that they played better uh this week than last week which obviously is is something you want to see even if it's something you also want to expect um but yeah i think it's you know having the the four games so close together gives you a chance to just kind of see how they treat different teams. And I think those four teams, especially with two of them being repeats, provided a pretty interesting opportunity to see kind of where this team was at. Yeah. I mean, listen, I, I can't complain. I, you know, there were some good individual performances too. I think obviously, you know, the, the big one that sticks out is Troy Terry getting his first six points of the season across this four-game stretch, getting two goals and four assists, a point a point in each game, right? I think he would had uh, two assists, two assists, and then a goal and a goal, I believe. Or, or I think that's had, right, or, yeah. or at least, yeah, so something like that across. But his first six points across the this, this season came in this four-game stretch. It's nice to see him get going because we talked about in the uh, the first episode where we covered the first two games that – you know, the Silverberg Lunderstrom line isn't going to be able to carry the Ducks forever, and they're going to need their top performers <laughs> to step up. And Silverberg Lunderstrom still looked good this week, and then Troy Terry steps in, and, uh, you know, the line doesn't really take off. Getzlaff gets his first three points, but Troy Terry individually um, on the power play and at five on five just really launched off. And you hope this is the start of some consistency throughout the rest of the year because we've we've seen this from him, maybe not this early in the year. But we've seen this from him before, and you know the big thing now is continually, continually being able to do this for longer than just a four-game stretch. So these four games upcoming here, I think, are going to be extremely important to see if he's taken that next step forward. And you know he's got some good opponents to get it done against. You know you've got Buffalo upcoming, you've got Montreal this week as well, who haven't won a game at all this season. So there are some opportunities for him to continue to pad the scoreline and uh, and continue to lead the Ducks in scoring. Yeah, no. So one, you were a hundred percent right. It was two, two, and then back to back games with one goal. Um, but yeah, I mean, I think at this point in the, in the year, other than the power play, Troy Terry's play has to be, you know, the biggest story right now or the biggest point of excitement. Like, 
I just think he's looked really good. You know, like I think we've talked about it on here. Like I've kind of always felt that he was going to ultimately be somewhere on the spectrum between Silverberg and Raquel, which is he was always going to be like good enough at both ends of the ice. And the question was going to be, was he going to end up being more of a defensive forward or was he going to be more of a playmaker? And it just felt he was going to be somewhere in the middle. And like, the thing for me is, is like, I feel like that's still true, but it's moved up a tier. Like he has looked like a guy that you could at least honestly, maybe expect to drive a line of his own. What the production out of that line would be is, you know, a question, but as far as being able to be a force at both ends and create plays, like he looked really good. Like he had a hell of a shift the other night. Like, you know, he made a great play to come down and assist the defenseman, went to take it up. He got the puck jacked. Then he turned around right away, took it back, and then was able to make the pass out. And, like, it was just a bunch of up and downs. But, like, the totality of the play, I think, showed what he has to offer um, going forward. And, and he's someone, I think, that Anaheim needs to be really excited about. Fans should be really excited about seeing the kind of player that it looks like he might be able to be. You know, and like you said, it'll be about consistency and the ability to do it night after night. And the other thing that's important is to remember, though, especially in a sport like hockey, like production isn't always the best way to tell how well someone is playing. Um, so, you know, it'll be things like takeaways and good defense or, you know, creating scoring chances, even if people aren't finishing that you know, is what you're going to want to see from him over an extended period of time. And he looks more than capable of doing that. And he's certainly going to have the opportunity to do that. Yeah. And, and kind of as uh, Dan DB Lowry in the chat put here, like this just in Troy Terry is good at hockey. Like he's been at least the underlying numbers over the last few years have been good for him. And maybe the, the one thing missing out. Encouraging. Yeah. The missing, the missing piece was consistent production. And, you know, we're still not there yet because it's a nice, four game stretcher where he has six points in four games not you know he's not going to keep that up for the rest of the year but if he can finish around you know 40 or 50 point pace I think that is the progression that we're hoping for from Troy Terry at this point and, and what you know in the in the past I would have thought of as his ultimate ceiling uh, but who knows right he he has plenty of time if he's still young enough and I and I think the one thing we've seen from him um, year on year is at least some progression you know maybe not the progression we've hoped for but there's still been some improvement each year in different areas of the game and you know he's definitely become one of the best defensive forwards for the Ducks and now it's about you know adding that offensive side to his game which hopefully we're seeing at this point and, and hopefully he can consistently do for the rest of the year yeah I mean I think the other thing just you know aside from consistency seeing the confidence he's playing with you know I think he's been one of the younger guys that you could see the effect of his confidence on his game um you know it, it, he just didn't see you know he's not as aggressive and he's not as at both ends of the ice you know what I mean like he like I, 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 don't, I don't want to bang on about one play but it just comes to mind so well but like that on that one that shift that I was talking about like he fucking jacked that dude's stick up. Like, that was not a half-hearted thing. Like, he made sure that that stick was leaving the ice. Like, you know, and it's it's an effort play, but it's I think it's indicative. And so, you know, to see him do this is very, very encouraging. And like you said, there's a decent shot that 50 points is a step in the, in the right direction and not the destination that maybe we felt it was. You know, I mean, and this is why, you know, for to some good and to some bad this is why i've always kind of felt like it was important to be patient and wait till the players kind of hit 150 200 games as far as just career numbers just because there is something to be said for that repetition and that confidence that you gain and and now that they have larger roles you're seeing the benefits of them kind of having a little bit I don't want to say more leash, but like you're seeing the benefit of giving yourself a little bit of a break from being hard on them for not producing right away. And so I, I think this is largely encouraging. And Troy Terry looks to be potentially a quality core member for this team moving forward. Yeah. And, and they're going to need that. And, and, you know, unfortunately, you know, I was going to bring up Max Jones here as another guy who we would like to see that sort of improvement from and it, you know then the bad news comes out that he's out four to six months with a, a torn pectoral muscle which is 
just awful news not only for the player himself but for the team and you know for us as well as you know everybody us as fans wanting to see him take that step forward this year and become a bit more of an important player for this team and, and a top six forward and a guy who can not only contribute with his physicality and you know his, the rough edge to his game but also contribute offensively so that's a that's a tough loss too we don't want to see that i mean you know if you want to draw try and draw positives from it if you can it does potentially open up a spot for mctavish to stick around for the entire year it can provide you know maybe the same size and net front presence that max jones could um and it's another spot on the left wing where mctavish has been playing that maybe he could slot in there you never want to see that at the expense of another player um but you know in these situations uh, i don't want to dwell too much on the negatives of Max Jones being out and how much of a bummer it is for him and for everybody involved. And rather, you know, us kind of dwelling on that, you know, discuss some of the positives that could come out to it of it. And, you know, guys like Sam Steele, who got a shot on left wing this week and, and had a great breakout game and had two goals. And like I said, Mason McTavish and potentially Benoit Olivier grew if they move him off center and Milano who checked in this week and, and got one game. And like, these are the guys who could benefit from that. And we get to potentially see some more of these guys with, with Jones out for the foreseeable future. Yeah, I mean, that's that's the lemonade part, right? That's what you're talking about. Like, yeah. Max Jones is at a point in his career. He just signed that contract. You know, I think him and the organization are kind of on the same page as what his expectations were going to be going forward this season. We saw the situations that they were putting in him, and we've seen, you know, Dallas Aikens sing his praises early in the season as just far as the kind of energy he brings around that team. Like, I don't think anybody thinks it's a better team without Max Jones, right? And you always would have want him to have this time to grow and develop and just to become the impact player so many of us think he can. <clears throat> but the unfortunate reality of professional sports is guys are going to get injured, and it is how you respond to those injuries that ultimately kind of dictates the fortunes of your franchise, right? And because when injuries happen, that's that's a crack in the process. And so that's when you're forced to adapt. And that's when like you kind of show what you're made of. And like that's when you actually get paid to do your job. You know, so yeah, there are some positives to pull out of this that you would have, you know, rather had in a different way. But <clears throat> like you said, you don't really want to dwell on the fact that Max Jones is going to be out for so long. And so what you try to do is find the positives on it. And like you said, an opportunity for Mason McTavish to get more ice time. Um, you know, I had one of the, my notes from this was like, is it too early to say that they miss Mason McTavish? Because like from an energy perspective, like he, he he's the only one out there with that kind of Max Jones and maybe Sonny Milano where that just kind of fucking go like, Mason McTavish is just, it feels like one of those things where it's just like he knows he's not supposed to be there based on everything. And so he's just going to go all, like it feels very Rudy-ish. Like he's just, I'm going to go as hard as I can every chance because I'm not letting them, I'm not going to give them a reason to take this away from me. Yeah. Or um, at least it's not, yeah, it's not going to be a reason of his, like his doing that right, he didn't exactly. play well or anything like that. Exactly. You know, ultimately right. he might get sent Absolutely. down because he's waiver exempt, but at least he'll know that it wasn't because he wasn't playing well. Exactly. Exactly. It's it, you can like look when you're that you know that young in this kind of league in this career, even on a bad team like Anaheim. Like the thing that only thing that you can ultimately control is like your effort, right? And so like if he goes out there every shift and he just shows that kind of effort, he makes it hard for them to take him out, especially for an organization where the head coach is Dallas Akins and Dallas Akins does preach consistency and he does preach effort you know as as a team so he's someone you know that is going to reward that kind of commitment i guess so you know but that's exciting and then you know we want to see Sonny milano get more games um i he, i guess they sent him back down today and that's that's a little bit of a bummer because he looked strong he looked promising in the one game he was out there so you know, he was definitely someone I think has a lot to offer, and he's young enough that I think the upside is there. Plus, you know, trade asset and all that kind of crap. But, I mean, just for nothing else, like, the team needs goals, and Sonny Milano is the type of player that can provide them. So it's a little frustrating to see them send him down. But. Yeah, it, it, and it's weird, too, because, like, I can understand if he came in and didn't look good or there wasn't the effort wasn't there. Like, I know he didn't put up a point. I don't think he did, at least. But he looked good, like, 
you, like you said, like the one thing that McTavish has done every game he's been in there is he's worked extremely hard, and he just has put in a shift every time he's out there. And I felt like Milano did that in the game against Winnipeg, I believe, is the game that he got in. Like, I felt like he played well. And maybe he's a victim of the fact that the Ducks lost that one at an ugly final score, 5-1, to one, and he's the easiest one to just say, okay, we're sending you back down. And, you know, Maxime Comtois was scratched for that game, I believe, as well. So you're mm-hmm. not going to do that forever. So, like, I get it at the end of the day. But you got to reward a kid that's trying to break into the lineup for an effort like that. And if it means Grant comes out or Delorier comes out for Milano to skate on the fourth line, Maybe that's not the best place for him, but you've got to show that there's some trust there in the kid, and there's a reward at the end of the tunnel here for coming out and just putting in a good effort and playing well. Otherwise, you know what what's the point of having them around and calling them up and plugging them in for one game? You know, I know it was Comtois going out to send a message to him, but the other side of that coin is Milano's coming in here to try and and earn a roster spot. And, you know, we don't know the decision that goes into it, but it almost seems like the organization just really didn't care how he played. It was just, we're going to plug somebody in here because Comtois coming out. I don't, it doesn't matter how they do. Comtois going back in next game. And the example is made for Maxim Comtois' side. Could be anybody, Milano, whoever, it doesn't seem to matter. Because I thought he played well and I thought he deserved another game at expense of maybe one of the fourth liners or even Maxim Comtois if they wanted to keep him out another game. I don't think that's the best option, but I at least think Milano deserved another game after the effort he put in against Winnipeg. Yeah, it's odd, right? Because you feel like they rewarded Steele for his game, and I feel like the only difference is that Milano didn't score two goals as far as kind of seeing that first game pop and that energy from them and kind of seeing the dynamic that they're able to provide. Uh, so we can get into this in a second as far as like my thing on the fourth line. But like, I think the thing for me is this to me kind of highlights why I don't like Adam Henrique on Zegers's wing. Um, The note that I wrote is Henrique doesn't make Zegers better. He makes him safe. And that's, you know, kind of how I felt about it ever since they announced it. Like, I think I talked about it last week, but like, it, it does just kind of bug me. It does feel like an overly safe decision to put a player like Adam Henrique on Zegers's wing when you have Raquel on the other one. Like, you know, one, we saw the kind of chemistry that he was able to have with Comtois uh, at the end of last season. So it's, you know, why aren't they doing that this year? But even then, if you're just trying to say, like, we want to take this year as an opportunity to try to mix and match some guys, like, one of the things that you hope that he's able to do is be a quality of player to make middle six players look like top six players and so that gives you the benefit to then stretch your talent out over three lines and really be a deep and effective team and like Sonny Milano should be up there Max Comtois yeah obviously Max Jones is kind of my perfect fit um, just because of what he provides but like Sonny Milano Sam Steele like those players shall even you know Bo Grew if you want like I think they certainly deserve an opportunity to play on that line and to try to build some chemistry with someone that they are kind of already building this team around going forward. So to me, it feels like a wasted opportunity and is kind of, I would say maybe my biggest gripe with Aikens right now is that that is his top line. I understand it as far as, like I said, like helping just kind of raise the floor on what he's able to do. But I think this year, as we've talked about, is going to be about making mistakes and learning and improving and taking those steps forward. And I think having Henrique offers you an opportunity to make the bottom six, like, really strong. Like, if he's your fourth-line center between Grant and Delorier, you're in a much better spot than you think because he's going to make that line effective. Like, those guys are still who they are, but he's going to make them much more effective. And now you have, like you know, two veteran centers and two young centers that you can throw out there. So, I don't know. It, it feels like a missed opportunity. Yeah, and I don't even think you, you necessarily have to get, I don't want to call it drastic, but, you know, I'll, I'll say it because I don't have a better word here, but to put Henrique onto the fourth line. Like, I, I think what we have so far, or at least this is just my opinion uh, through the first few games here, is that we've got three pretty good duos in the sense that we've got Lindstrom, Silverberg, who seem to gel pretty well together, Getzlaff and Terry, 
have seemed over at least the last four game stretch here to, to be able to develop some chemistry. And Zegers and Comtois dating back to last year and what they were able to do. Not that Terry was a passenger on that line, and as someone mentioned in the chat here, was still waiting to see Comtois, Zegers, Terry after the way they ended the season last year. I think you can comfortably say at least it's those three duos I'd mentioned are, are a pretty good option to have. And, and for me, it could be as easy as, as um, swapping Henrique with Comtois. And it becomes mm-hmm. Comtois, Zegers, Raquel, and Henrique gets left from Terry. And at least give that a shot. Because what's clear to me on those lines is Comtois just it isn't working with Getzlaff and Terry. There's just something there. He just can't seem to get it going. And Henrique, like you had mentioned, just doesn't work with Zegers and Raquel. Raquel's having a great start to the year. Zegers has started a little slow, but I still think he's looked good. Uh, points haven't yeah, been yeah, there. Yeah, that's what I was going to say. Has he started slow? Yeah, the, the numbers is? aren't there. Yeah, like uh, on paper, he's started slow. I think he's looked really good. Yeah. And there have been some plays that mm-hmm. just haven't, the finish just hasn't been there, whether it's from him or from the, the player he's passed the puck to. So, and, and again, eventually a player like him is going to pick up some greasy points, some secondary assists here or there, and, and, and they're going to flow in at some point if he continues to play uh, to play the way he is. But, yeah, I, I, I think at least for the time being, to swap those two guys and play, like I really like Zegris come to our Raquel on paper and what that could do. In, in the sense that, you know, Zegers is a facilitator on that line. Raquel is, you know, acts as a secondary creator and maybe an outside perimeter shooter. And Maxime Comtois just gets to the right areas. Like, I think there's a good mix there uh, and, and, and some potential for them to do really well. And then adding Henrik to that Getzlaff-Terry line, it becomes a little bit more of a defensive line. But I think all three of them bring something defensively to the game and then you know Troy Terry adds a bit of that creativity obviously gets left with his passing ability and I think Adam Henrique just kind of rounds out the rest of that line and you know whether that gets them going or not will be it remains to be seen but something has to change because I don't think Comtois benefits from being healthy scratched I know they're trying to send a message but for me like it's a, instead of healthy scratching why not just put him with the player he had the most chemistry with last year, and that's Trevor Zegers, and I don't know why that wouldn't be your first like, option. Is it really, is it really that big of it? Like, it's not that like, big of a deal. It, it's just you want to try and get him going, game, right? Five games into the season, like I don't, I don't know. Like, I, this is one of those things that I feel like fans can overreact to, right? Or, or not even fans, like people outside of the decision-making process, right? Because even the media can yeah. overthink this shit. It, for me, the thing is, is like, it's a problem when it's one, you know, it's like two, one game out, two games in, one game out, two games in, one game out, three games in, one game out, another game out. Like, you know what I mean? Like when it shows starts to become like a that kind of thing, I think that's when it becomes a problem. But if it's like five games in and they're like, you need to, you know, kind of improve. So we're going to sit you down for a game and we're going to let you watch and see how it goes. And then we're going to, you know, go over film, yada, yada, yada. And we're throw you back in there like yeah man go for it especially and i don't remember which game they sat him down for but like the first game of a back-to-back would have made perfect sense to me going into yeah, that week i think they sat him for um for winnipeg so yeah that sounds about that right. was back to back second game of back to back four games is that was it calgary yeah. then nobody then edmonton winnipeg right was back to back i think i have to remember that no calgary edmonton okay okay yeah. so the three, they played in the third game of back-to-back. Then. So, they, they benched them for yeah. that one. Like, so, you know, I just, like, like I, I definitely get your point, and I do think there's obviously something to be said for you should maybe look at putting him with Zegras first, given the kind of, uh, I don't know, chemistry they showed at the end of last season. But if you're going to sit him down, I'd rather you do it game five or game four than, you know, I don't know, 35 or 36, like, I'd rather at that point, it's a little bit more about getting out because if the conversation's still happening, then that's one thing. But if it's something that you're letting sit for 30 games, like that's annoying yeah. to me. And, and, you know, case in point, it's not something you want to Yeah. Case in point on overreacting. Like we went into this week in the first game of this week against Calgary, Troy Terry had no points. It was two games, but he had no points and didn't look great. And we're all sitting, we didn't sit here and overreact and say, oh my God, Troy Terry hasn't gotten going yet. What's going to happen? But there was like, there was some discussion that we had about okay, like what's it, when's he gonna get going? When are the these top guys come to Terry Zegris, 
you know, Raquel at that point as well. When are they going to start contributing to offense? Because the first two games were all Lindstrom Silverberg. And then guess what? We go into this week, Ricard Raquel has three goals. <laughs> Troy Terry puts up six points in four games, right? And then all of a sudden they're fine. And nobody's right. talking about how, you know, the first two games they didn't put up any points. Now it's, okay, Comtois has no points in six games. What's going on? And we have four games this week. We can come out of, you know, a week from today, we, we could record a show on this you know, upcoming Sunday, and Maxim Comtois could have, you know, three goals and two assists in the four games this week, and we won't even be talking about it anymore. Like, he's that good of a player, and it could be anybody. Like, you know, it, it's six games. It's a very small sample size to, to get that upset about. You can say it's concerning, and you could throw things out like we did here that why not put him with Zegras and just tr- like help trying to accelerate that process to get him going and, and lean on things that worked last year. But I mean, yeah, I'm not ready to say, Oh man, Maxim come to us a one hit wonder. He's toast. Like we're not, we're not anywhere no, near not that point yet. Um, would I love to see him get going? Sure. But I would have also at the beginning of last week when we recorded this last show, say I would have loved to see Raquel get going. I would have loved to see Getzlaff and Terry get going. We'd love to see Lindholm get on the board, and then they all get on the board. They all put up points this week. They all look good this week. And, you know, the same for Zegris. There's a lot of overreaction. You even hear the broadcast getting on him for, you know, back passes. Back, like some, I think, I don't know if it was you who tweeted it out or somebody tweeted out about the broadcast getting on Zegris for drop passes when Getzlaff makes, like, three a night, and it's okay. And Zegris <laughs> makes yeah, one. And, and Oh, dude, no, I he made a drop pass i tweeted out something positive i was like he's the son of the father man like that's that's how i know he's the chosen one he's our he's our next one in yeah. line he's uh he's paul atreides but he's like, got one assist in in six games and people are going so nuts right so say. so here's here's the thing right mason mctavish has twice as many points as zegris and comtois do combined which is a bullshit stat but it's really funny. Here's the other thing that's great. Three guys are tied at the top with six points, and five guys after them have four points. In total, 15 players have registered at least one point, and Maxime Comtois is not one of them. The top three are Shattenkirk, Terry, Silverberg. Shattenkirk is someone that you want to be in that conversation-ish uh, you know, I think we've all kind of settled down on him. Troy Terry is absolutely that you want to see. And like you said, that popped over, over four games. But this is the kind of depth scoring that we've talked about this team needing to find if they want to be consistently dangerous night after night right now, given where the, their talent is. Like, everybody has to step up. And, like, obviously, like, whatever. Like, you have to have depth. and you have, Everybody has to step up to win in this league. And you got to be bullshit depth in the playoffs. I get it. But like, this is a, a, a different circumstance because so many of these guys are unproven that all of them getting a chance to step forward like this. And, you know, more than a few of the kind of like potential middle six guys stepping up is like, it's actually really encouraging to see this team be effective and have the two guys you probably most expected to be at the top this year, not have any points or one point between them. Yeah. But you know what? Like, for for me and and the thing that that I kind of bring myself back to reality with is these are likely still the two guys that are going to lead the Ducks in scoring at the end of the season, and everybody goes through slumps, especially teams that were near dead last in scoring last year. There have been some positives, and and like we said, there's been some players who've stepped up to the plate through six games, but we still have you know 76 games to go. There's plenty of time for. Zegris and for Comtois to to get going and for these guys you know to start back up and and get back to the level that we hoped of them you know for the start of this year but you when you look at it and you draw positives from their play I think the one place you can look at it, you know again the 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 points aren't there and and the on paper stats aren't there but when you look at the power play in that first unit with Zegris Getzlaff Comtois Drysdale right like there is a ton of positives about the way that they work that play, that that power play and you know there has been success from that unit i think the second unit's been just as good if not better at times but you know some of the things i noticed from that last game against minnesota where just the amount of options that that power play has now and different ways to beat a team it, it's night and day from last year and you can see they they legitimately put teams on the back foot which you're supposed to do on the power play and they do that a lot now and, and i think it stems from the fact that okay now drysdale's a an option to shoot uh, on the power play from the point 
and you know you look at Troy Terry's goal against Minnesota, the deflection. I think there's been two goals that the Ducks have had on the power play this year that were deflections off a dry still point shot. I believe it was Henrique and Troy Terry in the game against Minnesota. He's become an option now because he's so good at getting pucks through on net and, and finding players in front of the net for the deflection. So he's now an option. You've got Getzlaff on the left circle as a one-timer. You've got Zegris on the right side as a one-time option. And you've got Comtois down low in front of the net or kind of right in the blue paint where we saw a lot of passes from Zegris down low to Comtois for that kind of in front of the net option, whether Comtois is going to pull it to his forehand and shoot or go back to the point or go cross crease. They just have assigned roles that they bought into and each one of them is a threat now. And that's something we didn't have. And we've seen the production from the power play do well. And I think the second unit has its own thing going on as well where there's some chemistry there and there's there's roles that guys know what they're doing but that first unit gives me hope that eventually Comtois Zegers are going to start picking up the points whether it's goals or assists or secondary assists just because of how well that first unit works and and how many options that it seems that they have to beat the the opposition penalty killers yeah I mean I think you know going f- forward you know, in three years, you kind of hope it's probably Perot or Pastuyov in that Getzlob spot. Um, but I, I think the thing that's hilarious for me is that you can see how much of what's different is the players and like the mentality, like the way that Zegris and Dreesdale play like they play with purpose you know what I mean like it always kind of felt to me like previous power plays were just kind of listless and waiting and they were I don't want to say like too cute but like they overthought everything and they they hesitated to just get pucks on net and like seeing that these young guys are like oh shit we're just gonna get the puck on net and then finally at you know age 45 gets off like yeah sure i'll start shooting let me shoot the one-timer like you know like the the broadcast is like yeah gets off actually asked to be the first one-time option i was like oh too bad he's never had the chance to do that they would never have listened to him before this year but you know it's it's great to see it's just i mean look man we fucking called it like sorry but i'm gonna be fucking happy about us we called it man we said and obviously this is very basic, but everybody shut up. We're going to be happy and take the credit. Uh, it's goaltending and the power play has kept them in, in the games that they've been in. Like their five on five play has improved over the course of the, you know, five or six games. Um, but none of it has been to a point that you're like, oh, they're getting they're, they're, What's carrying them is five on five play. You're like, no, the goalies are standing on their heads and the power play is producing in a direction, in a level that we've never seen this power play produce at. And so that's what's allowing this team to be in these games. And that's what's making them close. Yeah, so and, and we're th- very smart and people should listen to us. I think even in the games where the goaltending hasn't been superhuman, I want to say bad because they weren't bad, but you look at Stolarz in the game against Edmonton and Gibson in the game against uh, Minnesota. They weren't excellent in those games, but they were okay. Uh, you know, they weren't at the same level as, you know, Gibson stopping 41 shots against Calgary or, the you know, the... 33 saves he made against Winnipeg. They weren't at that level. They were still good, but the Ducks compensated that with timely scoring and goals on the power play. And that's something we didn't see last year. The Winnipeg game is a one-off, and I and I think you know that game on a scoreline when you look at 5-1 looks a lot worse than it really was. Um, you know, I, I think it was more of what, probably a 3-1 game. You know, obviously, there's an empty netter in there, and then the final Kyle Connor goal after the empty netter as well was a breakaway. So. It is what it is at that point. But I, I think they've at least been able to hang around these games. And they've made it closer despite, you know, the goaltending is not always going to be perfect. And we've talked about that. And the Ducks are going to have to find a way to win games when their goaltending isn't at that level. And I think they've been able to do that. Yeah. Yeah, they can't they can't rely on their goaltenders to be Dominic Hasek-level players. Yeah, uh, you know, it's weird that Anthony Stellars manages to stand on his head a couple of times. And this team's like, ah, oh, fuck it. Let's just make him do it forever. Um, but yeah, no, it's, it's, it's good to see, like you said, they've had a couple of rough games or some soft ones have gone in or whatever you want to say, but like by and large, the goaltending has been competent and that's what they're going to need from those two goaltenders. And the rest of it's going to just be up to, you know, the skaters to just not leave them completely out to dry. Like, I'll be honest. I think Cam Fowler's looked a little bit better this year in front of his net. I think, um, Josh Manson is like the third or fourth best forward on our team right now. Um, 
you know, structurally, they look a little bit better defensively and stuff like that. But like, you know, it just seems to be more than anything. It's just the infusion of youth and the change in mindset has led to just a different style of play. Like, I just, I don't think this team could have gone back to back or back and forth with Edmonton the way they did the other night a couple years ago. Like, they just didn't have the horses. And now they've got some younger guys who are starting to feel themselves. And, you know, you get a little puck luck and you're in a 6-5 game with Edmonton. Yeah, and, and that's a, a tough team to keep under <laughs> under six goals on on, on any nightly basis, right? Like, it's... Uh, yeah. Uh, you know, and and, I, and it was an exciting game. Like, I, I, that's the only thing we're kind of asking for this year is excitement in it's in some fun, way. Yeah, yeah like you know, the Winnipeg yeah. game that wasn't fun. Um, the way it it ended, it was wasn't as bad a game. Like I'm, I've said this several times already, it wasn't as bad a game as it looks. But you know, the, the Minnesota game lost in OT. That was a fun game to watch. The Edmonton six five game, they were up four three. They kind of blew it. They had, attempted to come back came up short but it was a fun game to watch like it was just exciting to watch them kind of stick around in these games against you know edmonton were undefeated minnesota undefeated like these are undefeated teams these are two of the top teams right now to start the season and the ducks were hanging around there against these teams and you know that's all you can ask for in a season where they're going to lose a lot of games and it's going to be another tough year and there's going to be some you know tough stretches here and there but you want to see that progression you want to see guys take a step forward you want to see the team, you know, have a bit more fight, a bit more compete, and and really battle in these games against top teams. Yeah, and, go full Brian yeah. Burke. <laughs> Why not? And you know, like we we we've, we've seen it. And again, it's a small sample size, but that's all you can hope for. And why I come out of this, and you know, we're so optimistic and positive about this week, even despite the Ducks losing three or four games, is because you know three out of four of them were exciting. And even the game against Winnipeg wasn't that bad. So. It gives you hope for the next coming games and, and for the rest of the year. And once some of these, other, you know, another further year of uh, production and, and development from the kids that are already with the team and Perot and San Diego and Pastuyav with Guelph and Zellweger in the WHL and, and, you know, more progression from the guys they have in college and seeing them eventually get to the lineup and, and get added in. Again, you're, you're kind of seeing the light at the end of the tunnel uh, when everything is, is hopefully back uh, in place and the Ducks are competitive again. I mean, look, that's that's the benefit, right, of scoring a handful of power play goals early is now it's already kind of planted in your head that it's something that might happen. And just that little bit of hope, you know, that the power play is at least a thing that other teams should be concerned about. Like, I don't think any of us expected to go, you know, three goals a game, like, you know, every third or fourth game. Like, that's ridiculous, obviously. But there is enough talent there and enough purposeful you know playing right now with that unit that there is a little there's enough to be excited about right now now when we get into january and the power play is not doing well and gibson and stellars are run down from having to make 50 all right, a game. Right. i don't want to take this slander right now no, no 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 but that's what i'm saying right i'm not even trying to play it's just like that's gonna be you know that's gonna be tough whenever we get there but right now early in the season what you're seeing out of this team is a version of it that can compete in most games. Yeah, and 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 that's what you you can hope for, and that's the most you can hope for right now. It's just competition and exciting games and sticking around. And you know they, you know the the difference between teams who do that and the elite teams is the elite teams can finish off another team, close out a game, get the win, you know, find different ways to win games, and you know that's the next step of development for the Ducks is to get from a team that can just compete and keep it close to a team that can take it that next step further and, you know, get the winning goal or, you know, make the winning play and, and, and really just kind of push into that next level. And, and they'll get there. And I think we're all confident eventually they will. The pieces are coming together and, you know, hopefully another big piece in the draft this year. But you want to see those progressive signs that they're getting back to that place and we haven't seen that for a while so i think you know again only six games but we'll see what we're you know what we're saying 20 25 30 games from now and hopefully it's the it's the same thing but optimistic uh, signs to say the least at least in the beginning um all right to wrap up the kind of weekend review here uh we'll pick our best and worst performers of the week I think we'll probably both have the same guy for best performance. Um, so we'll start with our worst performer of the week. Do you have one, um, or do you want me to go first? Uh, you go first. Give me a second. To All right. I'll probably get some 
some hate for this one. I don't want to say the guy I'm going to say. But I, I, like, I hate picking on the fourth line because it's too easy. Like to say, I, every week in and week out, I can say Deloria and Grant are the worst players, and I'm probably not wrong. But it's so obvious to pick them every week, and I think for, the, for Maxime Comtois, the it's not like Zegris where there's been progression, and you've seen you know he's playing well, and the, just the points aren't there for Maxime Comtois. I think there's still something missing where. He hasn't been playing that great, and the points aren't there. And for me, this week, adding in the healthy scratch, I think he was the most disappointing player on the team. I think everybody else kind of took it a step up from where they were or in the way they were playing in the first couple weeks. And Maxim Comtois just hasn't done that for me. So uh, reluctantly, he's my uh, my most disappointing player of the week. Uh, my most disappointing player of the week is Max Jones because he's hurt and I'm going to miss my big, beautiful boy. I, I'm going to say something embarrassing real quick. I had literally no idea until like a week ago that he was American. I just assumed he was Canadian. Really? I feel like an idiot. Yeah, I, I just assumed he was Canadian because he plays hockey and he played in the OHL. So I was like, yeah, he's got to be Canadian. Much more. Whatever. I, I like do. How, I, I love do. that. I love that much more. That explains why he's like actually cares. Your two favorite he's not, he's American not nice. players, uh, or at least to my knowledge. Uh, both played for the Knights, and both are American, in Matthew Gachuk and Max Jones. They're beautiful boys. <laughs> uh, but, no, I, I honestly, for me, I, I have to say Bo Gruel, man. He had a bad week. Like, I don't think any of it is unexpected, you know, given how quickly he jumped up, given how how just how little experience he has, like, at an NHL level. You know what I mean? Like, the games that he's played this year, the only games he's ever played, like I'm not holding it against him, but like I thought when he was up in that first game, he looked a little bit stronger than he kind of has been as the week has gone on. And like, again, that's to be expected. He's never done this before, but it was something that I noticed. And after having a strong first game, it was something that I picked up on. Yep. No, I, I, I can see that. And he had a strong first two games or at least a strong second game for sure. Uh, where he looked a little bit more comfortable, and I feel like that faded slightly, and that's it's tough. <laughs> like the line mates he's playing with are DeLorean and Grant, so it's really hard to stand out and look great because I don't think he's a player that can do things on his own and, and drive play on his own, so he's not going to get a lot of support in that from, from DeLorean and Grant, so it is hard for him to stand out, but I feel like his play on the penalty kill wasn't as you know exciting, and he wasn't as driven, it seemed like, in, in the four games. And it's tough to keep that up consistently. I, but uh, I, I, I saw him fade away a little bit from those first two games, which I, I could kind of understand why you went that route. Yeah, I mean, you know, I mean, look, in his first six games, he's going out there and he's playing against Connor McDavid. He's playing against, you know, uh, Nikolai Ehlers. Uh, Kyle Connor. Pierre-Luc Dubois, Kyle Connor, uh, Kirill Kraprazov. Like, he, you know, he's not going up against schmucks. Like, he's kind of getting thrown into the fire. And like I said at the beginning, like, like I'm fine with it because he's got to learn. And I kind of just think baptism by fire for a checking center makes a lot of sense to me because you're not trying to get his offensive confidence up. What you're trying to do is give him the reps at the defensive or at the pro level for him to learn all the little things he needs to learn about timing and skill sets and what to look for right at the next level because every time you go up – the guys get better and you as a defensive player you need to adjust quickly and so i i just don't think that him getting torched every night is necessarily the worst thing as long as they're handling it right away from the pot or away from the ice as long as they're talking to him and communicating him with being with grant and being with deloria isn't necessarily the most beneficial situation to walk in for but the kid's going to get his reps this way and they play grant more than they should so what are you going to do um but I, yeah, like I don't, I don't, I don't want to question his effort because I don't feel like that's yeah. fair. But I will say he did look tired. Like it just, it takes something out of you. And yeah, again, three like, games and yeah, four nights and it's four a and whole seven. Other right? fucking level. It, it was a yeah, tough week. You know, I mean, literally, it's the first six games he's ever played in the NHL. He played 
in that stretch and against those players. Like, yeah, dude, you're going to get put on your ass. It just happens. Yeah. And he's playing 12 minutes a night. Like, that's not bad at all. And, and he could be a guy, you know, that could benefit from a healthy scratch in, in the sense that just get some rest, take a night off, you know, relax a little bit. We'll throw you back in. We got a back-to-back coming up this week where I think they, they could do that, and that would be a nice time for him to get a rest. Whether he plays the first two and then gets the second game of the back-to-back off or plays the first game of the week, and gets the first game of the back-to-back off, that could be a good time to just sit him down and say, hey, like this isn't because you're playing bad. This has nothing to do with that. Like Just take a break. Like This is your first six games, seven, eight games of your NHL career at that point. We're not trying to, to burn you out here and, and, and run you into the ground. We're going to take our time here and, and give you a break. And, and I think that could be um, the, the best course of action for him in this upcoming week, and we'll see. I mean, you know, the Ducks have a few less players now to, to replace him with because – Milano back down to San Diego and Volkov on waivers for a mutual termination of his contract. Mm-hmm. So two guys at the in preseason that we talked about and said we'd like to see what they can do for the Ducks this year. They ended up both getting sent back down to San Diego and then Milano got the uh, the cold shoulder this uh, this week after having a good game and didn't get back in. And now Volkov's likely off to the KHL, you would have to assume, uh, or to another NHL team. We'll see how that goes. But uh, I would assume... Yeah, if they curious. couldn't find a trade partner and they're mutually terminating his contract, that usually means a guy is probably has offers overseas and cannot have an NHL contract to go do that. So we'll see. Well, you know, I, I was hoping he would do well in Anaheim. I don't chalk this up to what a lot of people are saying is poor asset management again. It's not like Volkov was <laughs> amazing by any means uh, and would ever be more than a you know decent bottom six forward for the ducks which we have a ton of so um i'm not upset about this by any means but it does suck to see him go because i would have liked to still see him play over grant or deloria or at least get a couple of games but um at the end of the day it's a it's not a huge huge loss for the ducks yeah so i the thing i would say is i i would imagine what they do just based on the way the week has played out i i think at this point the best thing that they can do is, um, you know, get Grooch like two more games. Like, is he still on like the ten game thing? Is that still uh, like, is he still on a ten NHL game? Because I know he's been like in the AHL, so I don't know how that works. But like, I if that's a thing, I would get him to eight and I would send him down. If it's not a thing, then I would still consider you know getting to a point in the next three or four games where. You let him run out there, and you just let him go for it some more. But then you send him back down, and you go, all right, man. Like, you're not ready, but we appreciate it. And we are going to bring up Milano. We're going to, you know, make sure uh, Steele is getting into the lineup more regularly right now. You know, especially without Volkov. Like, they have somebody to there to be there. And, you know, hopefully down the line, you do see them trade somebody. Maybe it's Raquel. Maybe it's Grant. Maybe it's... You know, they get that imaginary first for Delorier. Like, you know, if they move a forward, then I do think you can look at Gru and expect him to be probably the first one up. But at this point, unless they think he's closer to being NHL ready than he looks to me, and obviously they know better, I think it's been a very beneficial thing for him. And you send him back down and you just let him go for it down there and get some more experience at the AHL level. Yeah, I, I think that's what we see at some point. Uh, maybe maybe even this week, like you said, is uh, grew back down to San Diego and, and not not necessarily indicative of, of his play, um, but just, to, again, maybe it's to give him a break and, and build his confidence back up, and, and when he does come back up, put him in, in maybe a bit of a better uh, position than uh, than playing with DeLorean Grant, so we'll have to see. I, I I would love to see him stay up. I think he 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 plays a role that you know no matter you know where in the lineup five on five he's playing with the Ducks. I still think he can contribute and and be a positive asset for this team on the penalty kill. You know that's at the end of the day that's his bread and butter. But yeah, I, I, it's so hard for me to criticize him just because of who he has to play with. Like it, it like that, him. yeah, for sure. But. <laughs> Because, like, you know, we were playing Zegris with Grant and Deloria and then sat here and criticized him for not putting up points or not playing well. 
it's yeah. it's it's tough, Absolutely. right? Yeah. We and we probably That's would be talking seen. about that. We've seen Nick Delorier score goals. Okay, if Zegers is this elite setup, no, I'm sorry. Um, <laughs> Dig no, yourself right. a hole there with that one. But I, yeah, but like more than anything, I think. Um, like, think about how much grew, especially if that 10-game thing is doesn't matter as Raquel's goatee. Thank you very much. Told us in the chat. Um, if that doesn't matter, what the fuck, man? Play grew with Henrique. If anybody can use a solid, competent two-way center or even winger who has defensive experience or center experience who obviously you can put into win a face-off, like, fucking hey, what are we doing? Like, if that fourth line is Henrique, Delorier, and Gru, I feel very differently about it. Like... I just think, you know, like, again, like, one of my notes like, we have to not overreact to the fourth line, and or we have to let it go. Like, those two guys are going to be there until time in memoriam, and we just have to all live with it. Um, but that being said, like, I, I, as far as trying to put out the best 12 guys, trying to put the guys in a position to succeed, I do understand with why someone like Gru might be it might be really beneficial for him to play with a guy like Henrique like that seems like a very natural pairing to me because I think in a lot of ways and given what we know about Gru's ability to like he has said I think in an interview before this season with uh Eric Stevens he talked about like feeling like he's better um he has more offense to his game than maybe people think about. And so like, yeah, Henrique seems like maybe who you're kind of hoping he becomes like, you know, 15, maybe he's like a 10 to 15 goal guy, 25 points or 25 assists, maybe if you're lucky, but just being able to be that depth, strong, responsible two-way center would be really huge so why not play him with someone who has been that throughout his career yeah and and you know if benoit Olivier group became adam henrique uh in his peak of his potential i'd be completely fine with that i i think you know having a when we look at dude if he became casey Zekas, i would die yeah happy. And, and like i'm not being funny like casey yeah. Zekas is probably the best bu- six center in the league well when you think of what you know what the ducks have and and benoit Olivier group was never going to become uh, never projected at least to become a top six floor you know it may be in in a extreme circumstance he could become that because you can't say that never could happen because yeah, anything could happen but yeah if he becomes casey zeke is a really good shutdown defensive center who can slot into your you know third and fourth line there's nothing wrong with that because the ducks don't really have anybody who projects as a future kind of penalty kill specialist shutdown center maybe isaac lindstrom but i feel like he's almost gotten more away from that as he's developed, you know, he kind of came out of the draft as being lauded as this guy who's going to be a really good shutdown two-way center. And I still think he, he is that to some extent. But that is what Bogru is supposed to be. He is supposed to be a defensive specialist guy that you can throw it on the penalty gill and he's going to get it done. You know, That is what he's supposed to be. So there's nothing wrong with having that. And if that's what he becomes, and if he becomes a 30-point, you know, 20, 30-point guy, but he can just do that really well, that is a valuable piece for the Ducks because I don't think they have anybody else like that. Okay, so just to ignore the very obvious name, um, let's just say that this year they finish, you know, high in the draft or whatever, and they take a guy who can be a... He's a legitimate number two center, right? And that makes... Zegers, your first guy. If you go Zegers, whoever, maybe it's McTavish, um, and then Lunderstrom grew, like if those guys all turn into the guys we roughly think they have the potential to be, and that's tier four, like Isaac Lunderstrom and Bo grew again at what we think they're on pace to be or can be as your bottom two centers is really strong. That is the kind of center depth that wins championships down the line yeah. right like that's where you get your yanni gore the third line is actually the second line but we also have uh Braden point and anthony sorelli yeah. already so like it's just like a whole thing and so i i think that's the thing for me is like i would love because like those would be the two guys right that you would expect to be the guys killing penalties like i i do think lundstrom is that like i do think some of the offense has been really nice to see but i don't want to think that he's going to all of a sudden be a 60 point player um so i mean Kel, i'm not going to stop him if he wants to be that guy but i do think there is a lot of value in him to just being a really high-end third line center yeah and, and i and i think they 
if you know i hate comparisons because it, it's very right. hard to compare a player completely to another but you're looking at maybe stylistic comparisons if you say you know Lindstrom can become that Yanni Gord Adam Henrique for you a guy who can put up 30 to 40 points be very responsible in his own end but also you know have that those flashes of brilliance offensively which I think Lindstrom could be it's a very good utility to guy have to have as your third line center you know if we say mm-hmm. Bo Grew can become a Casey Zizekas type player uh, as an example that's a very nice player to have as your as your fourth line go ask Islanders fans how much they love having Casey Zizekas and Cal Clutterbuck on their fourth line right and and they still get it mm-hmm. done offensively every now and then and aren't an anchor for the team defensively like they are an asset for right. the team and then you know even if the Ducks don't get Shane right like let's just say it's it's Zegras as your number one center and McTavish is your number two you've got some variety there in terms of what they can bring to the game and mm-hmm. it, it, you've got the flair and the creativity with Trevor Zegras and, and kind of the the muscle and, and the shooting ability and the physicality, physicality of McTavish. You've got this like really versatile four guys down the middle that they already have in the organization. Like we're not even talking about having to go out and get a mm-hmm. guy or, yeah. you know, God forbid an Eichel trade happens or anything like that. Like we're talking about the four guys that they have already in the organization and what this team could look like regardless of the draft or trades in the next couple of years. And, I don't see any of those four guys getting moved out at any point unless McTavish was included in an Eichel trade. And even if he was, then you've got Zegers Eichel, Lindstrom, Greer, right? So <laughs> right. It, it's not like it, uh, it it changes too much after that. So, yeah, there, there, yeah, there are some good. positives to draw. And you, you start to see, again, like where these pieces fit, where these guys are going to fit in the future and, and how you know all these pieces fit together and you know, where Perot eventually slides in and, and what Terry can do in the future and come to why. Start to you start to get a little optimistic about what uh, what the team could eventually look like in in Pistuyev. You know, somebody again just mentioned here Zegers with Pistuyev could be something. It could be for sure. Pistuyev has had a great start uh, to life in Guelph. I think he's got five goals, five assists, ten points in seven games. Yeah, he's been he's been great for them. He had a Gordie Howe hat trick the other yeah. day, baby. Goal assist in a fight, which uh, I haven't seen, I don't think I've ever seen him fight, but I, I love it. Love to see it. Uh, I can't can't complain about much about that. But yeah, the the pieces are starting to come in place and you can see how this roster uh is going to shape out and you know if you think you add a shane Wright to that right like or you add a brad lambert to that and what that could do and not a replacement <laughs> we had a rutger mcgordon yeah, that one that one's a tough one uh or uh chaz lucis's brother i forget what his name is is it chad no it's not chad i don't remember his name but another Another guy like that. You add like a top end because that's all the Ducks need at this point is another high end prospect to push yeah, it over the line. That's all they need. Just, Just another. Yeah. But they'll have the chance at that. Heart it's okay. But no, but you're right. But that that's the thing, right? We talked about this last week. Is the the thing that feels different right now than any points in the past is it feels like there are multiple guys that could potentially fill the type of top six, top nine roles that you know a team that wants to contend needs, yeah. um, right? We can sit here and go, well, we've got Terry and we've got Pastuyov and we've got Perot and we've got Tracy. And, you know what I mean? Like we can sit here and be like, okay, like some of these guys aren't going to work out, but some of them yeah. might. And if those guys hit, we're in a really good spot moving forward. And so I, I do think that's kind of what feels different and to your set, to to what you said, like it does change kind of how we interact with this team and what we're kind of looking for in this team this season. You know, yeah, maybe they all look good enough that an Eichel trade makes sense, and you know, you protect the pick this year, and you know, hopefully you add something good, someone crazy good, and everything works out perfect, or where it's not, you you add Jack Eichel, who's a heart trophy, you keep Zegers, and everybody just moves up a little bit, and you're like, all right, let's go. Like I don't think you're in a bad spot, so. There is a lot of reasons to be optimistic. None of them are going to happen this year. But there are like no like the good thing here, but there are a lot of reasons to think good kind uh, good things are coming down the line. Yeah, and, and I'll mention we talked about Eichel very briefly here and, and again I'll very very briefly mention an update that came out. It's from uh, the fourth period. David Pagnota jumped on I forget what i think it was a station radio station in buffalo 
and had dropped a tidbit that the three most interested teams still in Eichel are the Ducks, Flames, and Golden Knights. You know, put as much stock in that as you will. That's uh, as much of an update I'll give on the situation because we've been talking about Jack Eichel since pretty Ooh. much, uh, what, spring? <laughs> when, when the news first came out. Um, what happened with him? Why, why is he available? I never want to hear any more Jack Eichel news until he's <laughs> traded. Because every every week it seems like there's oh it's, we're one to two weeks away from a trade because Jack Eichel's camp has told them that if he's not moved blah 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 and now it's like oh they're they're gonna file a grievance if he's not traded in one to two weeks or whatever and we'll, we'll see. It feels, <laughs> it feels like we're chasing a dollar bill on a string, dude. It yeah. does. Like it's just like oh it's so close. So I've decided not to talk about it anymore until something happens. And once he Good gets traded you. somewhere, then we'll 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 talk about it. But um, it's important to take a stand. We gotta wrap up the show here with our weekly picks. Um, we'll we'll get Jason's and Pat's because obviously they're not here. Um, we'll throw them out. We'll, <laughs> we'll we'll get them before tomorrow's game, and we'll uh, we'll throw them in the document. We'll post them on social media so they're in here. Um, Steve or J- Jason and I are one and zero after getting it correct in the first Ridiculous. week. Pat had win loss loss win, which was ruined by the yeah. Wild, and Stephen had four losses, which was ruined by the Flames. So that. Uh, is a nice early W for me and Jason. But we move on to another week, another four games. The Ducks play Winnipeg on Tuesday at home. Buffalo on Thursday at home. A quick road trip uh, back-to-back on Friday to Vegas and then finish off with Montreal, the winless Montreal Canadiens. Maybe not at that point, but right now they are, um, on Sunday at home. So what do you have the Ducks finishing this week? Three home games, one back-to-back against uh, some interesting teams. I will say 2-2-0, loss, win, loss, win. Win against I Buffalo, win beat... against Montreal? Yeah, exactly. Okay, I can see that. Buffalo, by the way, just beat the Tampa Bay Lightning 5-1 to one to stay undefeated tonight. <laughs> so, <laughs> I, I don't know what to take from that. Um, you know, the Buffalo Sabres are definitely not real, but it is becoming... Well, they are technically real in that they do exist yes. and currently they're, they're, occupy space and time with us. But yes, yes. their level of be. skill at hockey is not maybe real. <laughs> but uh, yeah, that will be that will be an interesting one. Um, the Sabers are just weird. I, I don't know how they're winning games. I look at their roster and I feel like you know half of it could be guys playing in the AHL, but somehow them stripping maybe Jack Eichel was a problem who knows because <laughs> they strip him as captain so take him out of the roster and... spending six months talking about getting him it turns out he was a he was a problem all along yeah maybe we, we dodged the, the call is coming from inside the house um I will say the Ducks finish uh two and two as well uh, different teams they win I think they win against uh the first two I think they win Winnipeg on Tuesday there's been, been some close games. Winnipeg's obviously a very good team, but I think the Ducks win that one at home. I think they beat Buffalo uh, on Thursday. I think they lose to Vegas on the back-to-back. That's a really tough game to play on a back-to-back and travel into Vegas and win. And uh, I think they lose against Montreal. I don't like I, I, it's a should be the most memorable game of the week, but I can't. Jesus. Montreal shooting at two percent as a team. Like there's, there's absolutely, is that not sustainable? There's absolutely no way that continues. And guys like Nick Suzuki and Tyler DeFoley and Josh Anderson, uh, and they're, like the team's not amazing, but but there's no way they're gonna they're gonna shoot like that for the rest of the year. And whether that breakout game comes yeah, against Anaheim or before, so but the, the floodgates if, are gonna open at some point for them. If a year after they rode Tyler Toffoli turning into Brett Hull. <laughs> To the cup vinyl, the whole fucking team shoots like negative 3%. I would die so happy. If they shot 2% for the the entire season, that would be amazing. That would be... That would be the greatest statistical anomaly ever. Like, that would literally... Like, that would just be such an absurd thing that you would just have to say, this doesn't mean anything weird and just completely ignoring it. But, oh my god, what a ride that would be. That would be a that would be, be incredible. I, I'm all I'm all here for the Montreal Canadiens not doing well this year. I, I love it. The only thing about that is it probably ends with them getting Shane Wright. Yeah, which would be over us too, which would be disappointing. Yeah. Um, a couple of predictions in the chat. Brett says that the Ducks will finish three zero and one with an OT loss not, to the no, Jets. He said they're going to go zero and four. I see it right here. Oh, he's got two two predictions. 
Uh, Cheap. <laughs> they said over four. And Raquel's goatee said th- uh, three and one with a loss against Vegas. That loss against Vegas almost just seems like a foregone conclusion. I just hope it's a competitive game. That's all. That's all I'm hoping for at this point. Dude, it's a Friday back to back. They're gonna get in, in from Anaheim <laughs> to Vegas Thursday night. They're gonna play Vegas Friday evening at five. They are going to lose that game by seven. Oh man! And they are all going to have pictures outside of them, like you know, drinking some shitty Corona, like at a bar. Like it's gonna be the best. I, I, I listen. I, I can't. All getting in trouble. I can't. I, want it so um, I can't get really upset about your picks this week because we both said we're two and two. I mean, we had different games we are going to win, but ultimately if the Ducks go 2-2, two and two, we're, we, we both get a W this week. So I'm I'm, uh, I'm in your corner for the Ducks yeah. uh, the Ducks winning this week. But uh, we'll wrap it there because we're pushing an hour 10. Um, if you want to get some extra content, uh, I said this last week, we still haven't recorded a Patreon show, but we are in the process of uh, scheduling. As you can see, there's only two of us today, so we're in the process of figuring out our scheduling and uh, getting things set up for a Patreon show, but we are planning not only a Pucks and Brews, but some other bonus shows upcoming as well. Um, so we'll have a, a bunch of things getting released on there. Um, so check us out on Patreon. It's patreon.com slash forevermighty. Uh, we're thinking of doing potentially some extra post games on the Patreon, only in discussion right now, but we're going to see how that works and, and the logistics on that. But we might be doing some some bonus post game shows on there as well, so stick around for that. But Thanks for everybody who came out today. It was a surprising, uh, surprising amount of people who came out on a, on a Monday night to, to listen to us ramble about the last week of Ducks hockey. So love everybody that came out live. Uh, thanks for everybody listening after the fact too. Uh, but if you, if you do ever want to come out to the streams, uh, we are going to try and be live Saturday and Sundays, but obviously today was a Monday. Um, but the streams are always a lot of fun. So if you haven't come out and, and checked out the show live, uh, we like to interact with everybody in the chat. So uh, give it a chance. Uh, you know, Check us out on Twitch. Put on the notifications. Come out and check the show out live, and, uh, and uh, join us. Uh, join us for some of the action. So we I think what aiming for Saturday, Sunday next week, so that Jay can get on, uh, and so hopefully Pat can get on too. Yeah, probably Sunday next week, which makes the most sense. We'll see. I don't know. I can never remember which one's actually Halloween. Uh, it doesn't make sense. It looks like I'm getting yelled at by a cat to to shut this down. So if you want to <laughs> sign this off. Uh, for us here, Stephen. So. Like Eddie said, uh, we appreciate everybody who came out tonight. We appreciate everybody who uh, listens after the fact, and we promise we will eventually let Pat and Jason also talk. Uh, bye, everybody. Good night. <laughs>